Hello and welcome to the podcast where we are educating for virtue. I'm host Jeff Robertson and I'm glad you've joined me to discuss education, what it is, whom it's for, how we do it, and why. So far, we have discussed, or we have begun to discuss, uh, what education is. We said that it was the cultivation of the right kind of person. It's the cultivation of the right kind of person. We talked about ethics and the, the difficulty in coming up with a sort of target for answering the question, what is the right kind of person? What is a good person exactly? And eventually we fell to what we call virtue ethics, which is one of the three main ways of categorizing sort of schools of thought on answering the question, what is a good person or what is a good action? And virtue ethics happens to be uh, the classical answer, uh, very broad um, in readings prior to the Enlightenment, um, and was certainly the early Christian answer. For the Greeks, it gave them many difficulties because, well, how do I figure out who the right kind of person is, or how do I find a model? We have a kind of circularity problem, but in Christianity, um, we don't have that problem if we believe in the incarnate Son of God in Christ Jesus, and so we have our ideal. We have our, our veer, our man, our ideal man, uh, and we have, we today have the recordings of his, his life and his work and his words and his attitudes and, and so on in the scriptures. So today what I need to do is talk about virtue a little bit more deeply, and I hinted last time that I was going to be using uh, Aristotle's definition, so don't be intimidated, this should not be too scary, because one of the reasons Aristotle is so valuable to us even today is because he communicated what he meant to communicate pretty simply and clearly. And so without further ado, let's, let's just get right into it. So the way that Aristotle defined virtue or manliness or being like the ideal man is he said that a virtue is a habit toward the good. A habit towards the good. Which is to say, it's a habit that one can have that orients or directs us towards being the right kind of person. So I need to break this down a little bit and get a little bit more clear on what some of these terms and categories mean, even within this definition. So we're doing definitions within definitions here. Bear with me. So what is a habit? A habit towards the good. Well, for Aristotle, a habit can be conceived of as a semi-permanent disposition. A habit is a semi-permanent disposition. It's a disposition in that uh, it's a orientation or a leaning or a direction that one has. You might say bias, uh, but it's an orientation that one has towards a specific thing, sort of by default. Okay, so some of us have dispositions towards, say, chocolate ice cream over against vanilla ice cream. 
or some of us have dispositions towards being generally patient, whereas others are predisposed to being impatient. Some of us are disposed towards uh, handling problems in a very sort of action-first orientation, um, where if we have a problem, if you're working in a, a wood shop or whatever, your, your first your first move is to maybe grab a hammer and smack the thing that's not doing what you think it should be doing. Others of us have disposition towards, um, you might say, analysis or abstraction, where we stop and we think and we consider all the possible options. But, but each and every one of those are dispositions. They're sort of leanings or orientations that for all intents and purposes, kind of, kind of happen behind the scenes. Um, and so that's, that's largely what we mean by disposition. Now, the more interesting part here is the semi-permanent disposition. So what we mean when we call a habit a semi-permanent disposition is that habits are the kinds of dispositions which are not easily acquired and they're also not easily lost. So take something like uh, patience, right? Patience is a kind of disposition. It's a, it's a kind of orientation that some people have towards their circumstances. Some people are better at it or worse at it than others, of course. Um, but if you, if you find that you are uh, an impatient person generally and you try to cultivate patience, you'll find that it's not an easy thing, right? Um, or if you have a disposition towards, I don't know, overeating and you want to become more temperate or more uh, controlled in your appetites for food, doing that is not an easy thing. Uh, temperance or patience, self-control, these are not things that are easily acquired. Uh, they are hard, hard won and hard fought. Um, but the good news is, is that, well, the good or bad news, I guess, depending on the, the habit, is that they're also not very easily lost. So, we do live in a fallen world, and our persons and our natures have been corrupted with sin, and so there is sort of a, a, a gravitational downward slide uh, against virtue, um, which, is, which is just part of the, the warp and woof of the world that we live in. Um, but, but generally speaking, a person who is patient, say, will will tend to be patient in various sorts of circumstances and they will generally be patient um, and that patience is something that that they don't easily lose right some people lose their patience very quickly um, but others are we, we would almost just say they they just are patient people they just sort of are patient um, they don't lose their patience very easily. Um, you might say the same thing about people with, with self-control with regards to food, that if you are in the habit, right, of, I don't know, uh, preparing your meals each week in advance, 
where you get out ahead of, you know, you cook your, your chicken and your broccoli and whatever it is on Sunday, and uh, you work through what it is you need to eat, and you've been doing that for several years, right? It's an established habit. Then it's the sort of thing where if you stop doing it or you miss a week or something, it feels wrong. Right? This is a this is a habit that you have, and it uh, it's not easily lost. There's there's an orientation that's sort of built in that leans in that direction. So that yeah, sometimes things feel off when we don't uh, mind our habits. Right? So a habit is a semi permanent disposition towards the good. That's what a virtue is. Excuse me. A virtue is a a semi-permanent disposition towards the good. It's a habit towards the good. Now, virtues virtues are are easily distinguishable from their their opposites, which are vices. So you've heard of uh, a vicious circle. Um, You might not have heard of a virtuous circle, but it works kind of the same way. A vicious circle, right? works where you do something and then things get worse and then you respond poorly to that and then things get worse because of your response and you respond poorly to that, etc. Virtuous circles can work in the opposite direction where you respond well to your circumstances and that makes your circumstances better. And it makes it easier, actually, for you to respond well now to those circumstances. So virtues and vices are sort of counterparts But what's interesting about the way that Aristotle defines uh, vices, or not defines, but sort of talks about them, is captured in sort of a parenthetical when it comes to his definition of virtue. So he, he says that virtues are habits toward the good, but he also says that virtues are a mean between two vices. So they are a middle ground between two vices. So it's a way of saying there's kind of a ditch on either side. There's the path that you want to walk, which is the virtuous path. And there are, there are ditches on either side. There's a vice on either side. So if you take a virtue like uh, courage, right? Courage, you, you might define as, as having the ability and desire to Um, do what you ought to do to uphold your duties or something like that despite the circumstances or despite how you feel about it, right? You ought to go and do this thing. You don't feel like doing this thing. You need need a bit of courage or or fortitude would be another word to actually go and do that thing, to go and attack in a battle if it's time to attack or to um, retreat if it's time to retreat, Right? There's, there are ditches on both sides. So when it comes to courage, courage is a sort of virtue in the middle. It's the, it's the mean between two vices. And the two vices on either side of a virtue could be characterized, have been characterized, as being vices of, on the one side, excess, and on the other side, of lack. So lack is an easy one for, for most virtues, probably, certainly for courage, when we think of someone who lacks courage, we have a name for it. We call it cowardice, right? It's the, the kind of person who, when, when circumstances hit them, if they no longer, if it's no longer easy for them 
to act in a way that accords with their duties or accords with what they know is right, even down to the level of the conscience, right? Then we would say that that person is a coward. They're cowardly. They don't do what they ought when they're faced with um, imperfect circumstances. They don't have fortitude. Now, the other side of the equation is that we can also have a vice of excess. So here we're thinking of, you know, if you've read the the Red Badge of Courage, uh, Henry, the protagonist, spoiler alert for those who haven't read it, uh, Henry, the protagonist, uh, is really excited. He wants to test his courage. He goes into a battle and he proves himself a coward. And so he wants to correct this, and the next battle he goes in, and he is guns blazing, he is running at everyone. This is a kid, this is a, I don't know if he's 15 or 16 or something, in in a battle, in, uh, I believe it's the Civil War, it's been a while since I've read it, but he just runs in and he's just wild man, just an absolute wild man. Uh, He's not exercising any wisdom in his actions. He is so intent on proving his courage and his will to go out and and act despite the circumstances that he's actually, he's falling in the other ditch in a sense, which we, we call rashness. So to lack courage would be to, to be cowardly, um, to not do what one ought despite the circumstances. But on the other side, we could also be rash when we... Uh, run headlong into doing what we, we think is right, but we're sort of blind to what the circumstances are and what actual courage would require of you. Because courage, like many virtues, is, is, it depends heavily on the context, um, on who you are or your children are, what their gifts are, what's going on in the environment, Right, So you can imagine a a scenario when, uh, I don't know, you're standing in line at the bank and a bank robber comes in. Let's let's keep this as simple as possible and say that the bank robber has a a knife or a club or something, no firearms. But he comes in to rob the bank. Uh, In your shoes, it might be considered a rash action. It might be, depends on the circumstances, to charge the uh, intent robber here in the bank um, because you're not taking an account of the circumstances. So most, most normal people, I would expect this would be kind of a rash action. But you can imagine someone else, right? A different set of circumstances, a different set of gifts. If we're talking about, I don't know, Jackie Chan in line at the bank and a guy comes in with a club or a knife, or if you're talking about, uh, I don't know, maybe not Hulk Hogan, he's probably too old, <laughs> too old for something like that, but someone who's, who's, you know, big and built out and trained in martial arts, right, and they're standing in line at the bank and someone comes in with a club or a knife or something, think Jackie Chan, right, or, or Bruce Lee or something, if Jackie Chan decided not to go and resist uh, this this force of evil in the place of, of the bank that's that's going on, you might say, gosh, Jackie Chan, uh, aren't you trained for this? Aren't you well-equipped 
for this? Aren't you fit for this kind of action? And yet you chose not to anyway. Why did you do that? Oh, because you didn't want to get hit with a club or whatever. But but you've been trained to be able to handle this situation. In that sort of circumstance, you might say that the decision not to act is cowardly. Um, now, of course, this depends on all of the surrounding circumstances. So don't hear me saying, you know, well, if my eight-year-old uh, has has taken three months of karate, then he needs to expect that he's going to try to tackle an assailant at the bank. That's that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that virtue and, and right action and even your habits and dispositions towards certain action do depend largely on the context and the person and their gifts and their talents and, and so on. So, back to our point. Virtue is a habit toward the good, which makes perfect sense given the way that we define virtue as sort of manliness or being like the ideal man. Because the ideal man has virtues. He has habits. He has dispositions. He has semi-permanent dispositions. They are so trained into his person that they sort of become his character. They become what what you call second nature. So we all we all have a, a nature, right? We're made in God's image and after his likeness. Um, there, there are things that are natural to all humans. And now because of our corruption and sin, um, there are many, many bad things, right? That, that come to us sort of by nature or by this corrupted nature. But habits are the sort of thing that are second nature. And for the good man, for the ideal man, good actions and good decisions, you would almost say come second nature, like the patient man that we talked about earlier. They seem to just be patient. They don't seem to have to work as hard at patience as some of the rest of us do. Or temperance, right? People who are temperate, they, they seem to just have it. It just seems to be part of them where they don't have to work and think so hard about uh, being patient or being temperate in the moment. Um, and so that that's a way of getting at the sort of differences between people, which is very, very important for us as educators and as parents, because each of our, our children, each of our students, our pupils, they're all different people and they all have different, you know, personalities and they all have different virtues and vices. Some of them uh, tend in one direction. Others tend in different directions. Some people, uh, Tend, they, they are predisposed to being the kinds of people who love to um, complete assignments in full, 100% all the way, no looking back. Others of us sort of have a disposition when we're given, when we're given assignments uh, in class or otherwise to, to really try to uh, get the most out of the situation by doing the least amount of work as long as we as long as we can say that we have completed the task in a way so all of our students all of our children have these different dispositions they have different uh, i don't know if you'd want to call it sort of a 
a virtue or vice profile, maybe a character profile. That's, that's virtually the same thing. Um, but something else that will come up that has come up over the last 200 years is the idea of speaking about personality. And that's what I want to cover on the next episode. What is the role of personality when it comes to thinking about a virtue profile or a character profile? How do the two relate? Um, How do we compare one with the other? And so I'll look forward to speaking with you on that next time. Well, that's it for this episode of the Educating for Virtue podcast. Thank you for joining us. I hope you'll do so next time. And until then, I pray that God would bless your obedience to his commands to be fruitful, to go and make disciples, and to train and instruct your children in the Lord. Thank you.